0: church's weekly message new life church's mission is to lead people into a transforming relationship with jesus through the gospel this week speaker pastor steve benninger gives part two of the sermon your one and only life you can find the sermon outline and video for this message at enewlife.com or the new life church kahana mobile app in this short series called Your One and Only Life, and it, it finishes up today, a two-week series, and uh, what we've been doing is kind of hitting the pause button on our lives and stepping back a little bit and just thinking seriously about the remaining days that we have on this earth. It's important to do that every now and then. I think it's kind of sobering to be reminded that we've, been, we've each been given one life one and only one life to live here on this side of eternity. And so in that sense, it's unlike video games where if you get blown up, you get to acquire more and more lives and have all these do-overs. Real life's not that way, right? We get one life. It's like that famous saying found on many wall plaques, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And so it's just a healthy, wise practice every now and then to step back and kind of ask ourselves the question, how can I make the most of my one and only life? Some in the room may have 60 or 70 years left on this earth. I hope that's you. Others may have 40 or 50 left, others yet 20 to 30, still others 10 or five years left or even less. I know of people who were here one year ago who are not here with us today. You know, the older I get, the faster life seems to go by. Isn't that true? I mean, this last week, we celebrated my youngest son's 20th birthday. I'm thinking, wasn't it just the other day I was up here with him, cradling him, offering him up to the Lord in, in child dedication? Wasn't that just a few weeks ago? What happened? Where did life go? It goes fast. You know that's true. And so that fact alone makes me want to just step back from time to time, and just take stock. Just assess my life and think about it. Like many of you, I want to maximize the remaining days I do have here on this planet, and I want to leverage my life for the greatest possible good. And around here, we view the Bible as God's holy and inspired word. Amen? We believe that. We believe it's the most reliable source of wisdom for how to make the most of our one and only life. So I chose as a backdrop for this series the Book of Romans. And last week, I kind of did a flyover of the first 11 chapters of Romans, and I threw out a bunch of terms that theologians use to describe the main themes of God's huge, grand, sweeping plan of redemption, which is what Romans is all about. And so you might recall this. We talked about condemnation. Romans chapters 1 through 3. The fact that all of humanity stands guilty before the judgment bar of God, and we're in need of gospel, we're in need of good news. And then we talked about justification, that second theological term. That's the theme of Romans 4 and 5, and it talks about how God stepped into the equation and solved our greatest problem and met our greatest need through the atoning sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ. Thank God for Romans 4 and 5 then we talked about sanctification, Romans chapter six and seven, that's the great effects of the gospel for those who believe it, like being set free from sin, like we sang about just a few moments ago, and many others, and God's desire that his people live a holy life and uh, reflect his character to the world. And that leads to Romans chapter eight, and the theme over that chapter was glorification, and we noted that and talked about how one day there will be no more sin and suffering and we will be completely glorified Uh, in him, in heaven. We sang about that a few moments ago, didn't we? And it's a wonderful hope and a promise, the great destiny of all who believe the gospel, glorification, and then in chapters 9 through 11, we explored that mystifying theme of election, God's sovereignty in fulfilling and accomplishing his gospel purposes throughout human history. And so Romans 1 through 11 contains both the very bad news for humanity and also the exceedingly good news of Christ's redemption. You know, a few years ago a team of us put together a little pamphlet, a little green pamphlet. You see them out there in the lobby on that rack. We call it the gospel pamphlet and uh, what it does is it summarizes the key points of the bad news and the good news according to Romans and the rest of the Bible and we tried to put it in a format that would be conducive for you as you have conversations with people. Maybe over coffee at Starbucks or Waffle House, as the case may be for you. And uh, if you think that having one of these would help you understand the good news of the gospel better, then I'd like for you to have one. You can just pick one off the rack as you uh, leave this morning, as you go out. If you feel it will help you better understand things or help you better share it with other people. Well, then we moved into Romans chapter 12 and we saw the human response to all that God has done or what should be the human response to all that God has done. Let me remind you of what Romans 12, 1 and 2 says. Paul wrote this, I appeal to you therefore, therefore, based on everything I've written in the first 11 chapters, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your spiritual worship. This is worship, he says, offering yourself to God. Verse 2 Do not be conformed to this world. Don't let this world press you into its mold. Don't let the culture dictate your value system. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And I tried to make a case from those verses that for you and I to make the most of our lives, we've got to get. Intentional and deliberate about a few things like aiming your life at the right target. Remember that? We're talking about aiming our lives at the glory of God, that that's the right target to aim your life at. And I said, if you go through life and end up making your name famous but never making Jesus' name famous, that's a sure way to waste your one and only life because it is all about Jesus Christ. To him be the glory forever and ever, the Bible says. That's what to aim your life at. That's the target to, to shoot at. Then we talked about getting more intentional about centering our life in the right message, which is the gospel. That's right. And There's a lot of message flo- messages floating around in our culture today that you can absorb and take in and even center your life around, but none of them is of first importance like this one is. The message of what God has done for people in Jesus Christ. We talked about what that meant to center our lives in the right message and then surrendering our lives to the right purpose, which is worship, like it says. To offer ourselves in response to God's mercy and say, God, I'm yours. I'm yours. My past and present and future, my sins and shortcomings and failures, my talents and strengths and successes. I offer everything I understand of me to all that I understand of you. That is the only response that makes sense. And that is worship. And then I just kind of touched lightly on this final one, which is leveraging your life for the right cause, which is the will of God. Discerning the will of God, understanding what it is, doing the will of God, and delighting in it. Delighting in the will of God. Enjoying fulfilling his desires. Does anybody remember any of that from last week? Anybody? All right. Pastors wonder sometimes, is anything sticking, you know? (laughs) Well, today I want to follow Paul's line of reasoning in Romans 12 and kind of narrow the focus now to this question. You say, Pastor Steve, I do want that. I do want to leverage my remaining days on this earth to do the will of God. But here's my question. What in the world is the will of God? What is it? What does God want for me? What does God want for my one and only life? And this, I believe, is where it starts to get really practical and really fun and really adventurous and exhilarating and, I think, really sweet. You know, some people have this convoluted notion of the will of God that it's horrible. You know, if I give my life to God and tell him I'll do what you want me to do and go where you want me to go, he's going to send me to Africa and I'm going to end up being boiled in a big pot by the natives over there. (laughs) I mean, some people think that the will of God is this dreadful thing, you know, to be fearful of, and if that's your notion of God's will for your life, I am hoping and praying that you will discard that today, and that you will embrace a different, accurate, biblical view of what God's will is for your life, for your life. I believe the will of God is actually beautiful, because it is the will of God, and He is beautiful. I really believe that. And so we'll be exploring the will of God as it is unfolded in Romans chapter 12. That's what Paul does. Now he doesn't provide a complete detailed blueprint of the will of God for your life or for my life. He doesn't tell us who he wants us to date or who he wants us to marry or where he wants us to work or where he wants us to live. But Romans 12 verses 3 through 21 does reveal God's will for his people as they live out their daily lives in two distinct ways. Spheres of life. I like to think of these as gospel outworkings in the lives of those who believe the good news. Those who have offered their lives as living sacrifices to Jesus and now wanting to do the will of God. And I would would direct you, if that's you, I would direct you as Paul does to begin your quest to live out the will of God with these two desires that God has in his heart for you. First, to humbly serve God's people in the church, in his church. And then number two, to happily show God's mercy to the world. That is the will of God for your life as a believer. It's not the totality of his will, but it is specifically his will. And really when you think about it, it encompasses all of our relationships, all of our interactions. When you go to work this week, I was gonna say tomorrow, but maybe you're off tomorrow. Uh, When you go to work this week, you're gonna be interacting, when you think about it, with two kinds of people. Those who know Jesus Christ, their fellow brothers and sisters in the family, and those who don't yet know him. Right? Those who are saved and those who are not yet saved. And so, this encompasses all of the interactions and relationships in our lives. And I want us to see how this is worked out in Romans chapter 12, okay? So first, Paul reveals God's will for how believers are to relate to fellow believers, brothers and sisters. Let me read beginning in verse 3. Just listen as I read. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned." For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Verse 6 Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith. If service, in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes or or gives in generosity, the one who leads, do it with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Abhor, hate what is evil. Hold fast, cling to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Now, at first glance, that might just appear to be a long series of rules to follow. Just kind of like machine gun, right? Do do, do all these things. And indeed, these are commands from the Lord. But, But realize this is much more than just a list of rules. It's really a portrait, isn't it? It's a portrait of a life lived in light of what Jesus has done for us. It reflects the reality, listen, that the gospel forms a family. And when anyone believes the good news, it places them into this family that we call the family of God. Paul calls it a body of believers. And as I look through this, I see several emphases here. I see first Paul's concern that that God's people view themselves accurately. You see that? Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. I think by implication, don't think of yourself more lowly than you ought. Think of yourself as God thinks of you, see yourself as God sees you. Then I see his concern that each of us see ourselves as as members of a large, diverse, interdependent body of believers, part of that family. Then I see him saying, you know, make sure you recognize your gifts and use those gifts to bless the body at the same time appreciating what others bring to the table appreciating others' gifts and contributions as well. And he concludes this section basically by calling the church to love one another. Love your church family with pure, honoring, fervent, patient, prayerful, generous love and affection. And so what I get here is that in God's mind, it's it's family first. He gave his son's life so that he could have a family. The family to dwell with forever. And so he, we call him the heavenly father, right? And so as the dad, it matters to him how his kids are getting along, how the brothers and sisters in the family are treating each other, and his will is for the members of his family to love each other like he has loved us. You know, as a pastor, I sometimes hear Christian people talking about decisions that they're making, big big decisions, and sometimes it sounds to me like they're making those choices and decisions with little or no thought as to how those choices will impact their brothers and sisters in the family. And that's troubling to me. Because the gospel calls us to something different. In God's mind, his people are not independent, autonomous, individual, units any more than your heart is independent from your lungs or your kidneys or your liver. The Bible says we are one body and members one of another. Does this make sense? And so if I could be so bold, I'd like to suggest several questions that I believe you ought to ask yourself before you pull the trigger on your next big decision in life, questions like this. How will this choice impact my ministry to the believers in my church? or their ministry to our family and my children? Will the choice I'm considering help my kids get a clearer view of how important church is to our family, or will it muddy the waters in their mind? How will this decision affect my ability to participate in worship with my extended family on weekends, or involvement in my small group? Which decision, which option here, which choice will better enable me to use my gifts to bless other people and to serve them. How about this question? What does Jesus want for me in this decision? What does Jesus want? I mean, I'm his, right? He purchased me. I've given my life back to him. What does he want? And how about this one? Who would I be wise to check in with before I do pull the trigger on this decision? Whose wisdom, whose counsel should I seek out before I make the decision? You see, that's gospel thinking because the gospel forms us into this tight-knit, interdependent spiritual family, a body of interconnected parts and members. And I believe seriously reflecting on these questions reveals a mind that is being renewed by God's word and isn't just content to be carried along downstream with the culture, the culture of individualism that we live in. I got to thinking about our church family here. And I got to tell you, I love being a part of this church family. My family of origin, my biological family, is all spread out all over the country, <laughs> thousands of miles apart. My grown children now have started to move around, and they're in different places. So really, you are my family. You're my family. My three boys grew up in this church. I mean, I thought about it. In a sense, I came of age in this church. <laughs> starting in my early 20s. I love this church family, I love this experience on the weekend, the extended family, all coming together and worshiping one Lord, one Savior, one one master, Jesus. I love my small group family. Our small group is a huge blessing to Shirley and me. We eat together almost every week. We get together, we look into the word of God together, we pray together, we we try to do what the scriptures say, We weep with those who are weeping. We rejoice with those who are rejoicing. We've served together in ministry. We've worked on home repairs. We've played miniature golf and gone to movies together. We played shuffleboard together. Go figure. (laughs) In our group, we have, it's interesting, we have both marrieds and singles. We have younger and middle-aged, seasoned, (laughs) I think there's something to be said for multi-generational groups. Although it can be hard, I understand we all gravitate towards those who are in our life stage, but there's some great benefit when the generations come together. I think you have to have a vision for that. God has to do it. When I read these verses, I do think about all of us, but I especially think about my small group. It really feels most applicable to our little group platoon of a dozen people so i think about this and i think about you and i i I wonder how about you how about you Are, are you in close relationship with some other believers some brothers and sisters in the family of god are you connected are you in a small group do you have some some spiritual partners some spiritual mentors in your life They're the ones, I mean, just another reason to have mentors in your life is if you are going to make a big decision, you know who to go to and check in with them and say, hey, what would you think about this? I've I've got a couple paths before me. Give me your thoughts. I'm telling you, it is the will of the Lord. It's the will of God that each of us be connected in these kinds of relationships for our mutual benefit and and our mutual growth. Did you see the emphasis on using our gifts to serve each other, verses 3 through 8, using our spiritual gifts that God has given us, those unique abilities to serve one another and meet needs and help each other grow in our faith. I got to thinking about that around here, and we have a lot of ministries in this church that bless God's people, both here in Gahanna and also at Whitehall. I am so grateful for all the ministries of this church, super proud of all of them, I think about our prayer teams that pray for people's needs. I think about our outreach teams, one of which served this past week at the Summer Lunch Club here in Gahanna. So thankful for those of you who participated in that. I think about our security team. You see the guys around here in, in, in orange shirts with the little earpieces? I mean, they, they volunteer. They, they're here to help keep us safe and our children safe. Thank God for them. I think about our tech folks who are here day and night, hours and hours and hours serving us. But I want to take a few minutes and brag on our children's ministries for a moment. Could I do that? (laughs) Because I think, I really do think, we have one of the finest children's ministries in all of Central Ohio. I really feel that way. We call it Kids Life. Did you know that over 200 people, 200 people volunteer to serve in our children's ministries every week? And one of the unique things that I love about our Kids Life ministries is that we have a lot of godly men who minister and serve and teach the gospel to our children. Now nothing against women, I like women. My wife's a woman, my sisters are women, and I love that women serve in our children's ministries as well, but do you understand how rare it is to have 50% of those who serve in children's ministries are men? And I love having godly, mature, masculine men loving on your kids and teaching them the good news. It's rare, and it's beautiful. Think about how in our culture, the lack of godly masculine role models. And we have them here in this church, and I love that about our Kids Life Ministries. I'm also proud that the curriculum we use is gospel-centered and Jesus-focused. We're not just teaching the Bible to your children as a series of disconnected stories. We're teaching it as one story with one hero that all the other stories point to. And we teach it that way because that's the way Jesus wanted his word taught. That's how he viewed it. We're helping little ones as early as preschool to understand that their little story connects with God's big story and that they are precious. Precious to the Lord. I love the fact in our kids life ministries that there's also a multi-generational piece to it. You can go into the nursery for example right now and you'll see a, a 14 year old next to a 30 year old next to a 70-year-old grandma all holding babies and talking with one another. I love that. That intergenerational connectivity there. And as we teach children, we do seek to make it age-appropriate, but we don't fluff it up. We don't round off the hard edges. We teach the truth of Scripture, even the hard ones. We teach God and Satan, heaven and hell, life, death, judgment, Jesus, grace, the cross, the empty tomb, eternal life. So I'm telling you, I am so proud and so thankful of our Kids Life Ministries, and you should be proud too, really, in a good sense. You think about that, maybe the Lord would prompt you to offer yourself to serve in some capacity in our Kids Life Ministry, maybe as a helper, maybe as a table group leader on a Sunday morning, maybe as a listener in our Awana clubs on Wednesday evenings when it Kicks off again in the fall. Darcy Stelzer and her team here are really good at helping people find their good fit role, their hand-in-glove role. I got to thinking about this. One reality we face as we plan and prepare to open a third campus, and we talked about that last weekend, out east, Pataskala, Blacklick, Reynoldsburg, Summit Station, those communities out east as we pray and prepare to open a third campus, we face the reality that as as some of you here in Gahanna and some in Whitehall heed the call to go and be a part of that ministry, it's gonna open up some roles here, right? To serve. To me, it's exciting to think about some of you who've been content to sit on the sidelines and watch other people. God's gonna prompt you to get off the bench and offer yourself and say, put me in, coach. (laughs) Put me in the game where the action is. I wanna serve. That gets me really excited to think about that. And that has to happen if we're going to stay healthy as a multi site church. And we're committed to health. And so, with all that as a backdrop, let me just ask you a question today. How has God wired you? How has God put you together, wired you, and gifted you to love on your fellow members in this church? Put a little box there on your sermon notes. That maybe you could put some words in there in response to that. How, how has God wired me to love on my fellow members in this church? What gifts do I have that could be offered back to him that would bless his people? If you've never taken a spiritual gifts inventory, um, I had our, our administrative folks copy some off, and you can pick one up today if you'll, if you'll do it in the uh, reception area. You can go, go over there after the worship time has ended and take that home and, and fill it out. It's not a pass-fail thing. It's not a graded thing it will help you understand what your spiritual gifts might be. Those unique abilities and desires that God has given you to, to serve and bless other people. It might confirm what you already suspected about yourself. It might surprise you a little bit. Oh, I didn't really think about that. Again, this is another reason to have some spiritual partners and mentors in your life so you could go to them and say, hey, do you see this in me? I mean, we hang out together. Do you, would you affirm the results that I got on this Assessment here? Do you see that in me? Now, really, I think that the best way to discern your gifts is not standing and looking in the mirror or even in taking an assessment. That could be a helpful tool, but really, it's in serving. And, and, and that's the place to begin, is just to, to offer yourself to a ministry leader and say, I, I want to serve wherever the church needs me to serve. And that's wonderful because it develops that servant heart, that servant mindset that so pleases the Lord. That's the place to start. But you know what? Over time, I believe that God wants to move people towards what I call their sweet spot of service. That's that hand-in-glove fit. That's that place where you're serving and you're loving it. And the people you're ministering to are loving it. It's a blessing to them. And you're good at it. It's your sweet spot. And I believe the God of mercy wants to get each and every one of his people into a place of service to his body of believers, his family, that fits them, that encapsulates how he's wired them. Does that make sense? I believe that. Well, here's a step you can take today, whether you know what your sweet spot is or not. If you're feeling prompted to to step up and Offer yourself to serve God's people in some way. You can just take that little tear-off slip that Alan talked about earlier and just check the little box. that says, interested in serving in a ministry. You just mark that, and in time, someone will follow up with you and, and just be in contact with you to help you along on that journey. All right? So I can confidently say, it is God's will that you use what He has given you to serve your brothers and sisters in the body of believers. And you know what else? I can say that the Lord also desires something else. He desires for you, number two, to happily show his mercy to the world. So the body of believers, the spiritual family, serving them and then showing his mercy to folks who are not in his family yet. Listen to these verses. I'll begin reading in verse 14 of Romans 12. Bless those who persecute you I am so glad that Paul is acknowledging the fact that we can do our part, but it may not always be responded too well. As far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Verse 19, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And so having a ministry to the body and a mission of mercy to the world as an outflow of surrendering our lives to Jesus, the Lord calls us to expend ourselves in loving those who don't yet know Christ. Now the way I'm wired, I would love to get all of us together right now in a big room with a huge whiteboard. I mean a monstrous whiteboard and just with those stinky markers and just start filling up that whiteboard with specific ways, creative ways that Jesus might have us bless our neighbors and our city. Just think about what needs are out there that we could meet in his name. What groups of people could benefit from Jesus' people coming alongside them? Single mothers, people struggling with depression, cancer survivors, couples buried under a load of financial debt, parents of kids with autism or ADHD or other conditions. How about the community of disabled folks among us? How about the elderly? Somalis, Chinese students coming to study at Ohio State. Muslims. How about veterans of military service and the unique challenges they face as they re-enter civilian life after having seen what they saw and done what they did? How can we assist our schools in what they're called to do? I'm just asking, how could we together, collectively, and as individuals, bring gospel life to bear upon our neighbors and our city and our world? You ever thought about that? What's God put on your heart to show his mercy out there? What's God put on your heart? Maybe you want to publish a book. Maybe you want to write a book and see it published. Maybe you want to have some of your poetry published. Maybe you want to start an online blog that would tell stories of God's grace. Maybe you want to serve at a pro-life ministry or volunteer at Victory Mission. Maybe God's put it in your heart to start a Bible study at work, at the office, and gather colleagues together and and study the truth of God's word or maybe on your campus where you attend school. What's God put in your heart? Maybe you're gonna start viewing your hobby differently. Instead of just something you enjoy, maybe you're gonna think about, well Lord, how could I how could I use my hobby as a ministry? How could I gather some like-minded people who enjoy the same things I do? I was talking to a guy recently who's into motorcycles and biking and that sort of thing, and he's starting to think, well, how could I I use that to collect together like-minded people with the aim of building bridges of friendship towards them so that I can share God's mercy with them? I like that thinking. Maybe you'll team up with some Christian brothers or sisters and start a business together The Christian business, maybe you have a heart for that. I know of some people who want to team up and minister to first-time moms. Moms who just had their first baby. That's got some unique challenges, doesn't it? Thinking about over in Whitehall, at our campus there, we're praying about what looks to be an open door in that community. We're praying about it, but to acquire a laundromat business where we could offer needed services to the neighbors there at a substantially discounted cost while building bridges of friendship to them while their laundry's going round and round. I mean, that's why we would do it. You know, when you think about it, the possibilities really are endless. God is an infinitely creative God, and he's putting thoughts and burdens and desires in the hearts of his people all the time. It's only limited by the limits of our sanctified imagination and our faith. It's not limited by God. I mean, wouldn't that be fun to fill up a whiteboard with creative ideas for showing God's mercy to the world? Funner still for me would be to hear some of those ideas coming to fruition and happening that started as a thought, just a seed of thought germinating in your heart or your mind. That that kind of excites me to think about that. I'm just curious, how many of you feel like God has already given you a labor of love that you do that blesses another person, someone else, or a group of people outside of the walls of this church? Can I see your hands? John, I know that's true of you, yeah. Many, many. Praise God for that. Praise God for that. That is awesome! For the rest of us, I wonder, is there something that the Lord has put on your heart? regarding this. Maybe it's not happened yet, but it's, it's on your heart. You're just trying to figure out how could this happen? Some way of showing his mercy to other people, something that you're passionate about. You have strong opinions, strong feelings about it. Something that you're good at or you believe you could become good at. Something that you enjoy because it comes from who you are and, and your values and the things that you love. Well, I don't have a big enough whiteboard to accommodate all of us, so I'm gonna just take a risk here and do something a little unorthodox, okay? Because I've found that when people speak a God-given vision that they have in their hearts, when they say it aloud in their own voice to somebody else, that can be a step of faith that can lead to it becoming a reality when you hear yourself say, you know, this is in my heart, I'd love to do this someday. And so I'm gonna engage us in a little exercise here, okay? Trust me. First thing I want you to do is look around, just look around you and smile at some people. Just smile at them. Some of you have not had anybody smile at you yet today, so you need this. And then um, I want you to lock eyes with one other person, one of those people you smiled at or who smiled at you. One other person. And then in the next minute or two, I want you to ask them, is is what that guy's talking about up there, is there something like that in your heart? Something that you believe God's put in your heart that you'd like to do that would bless people and show God's mercy. Maybe it hasn't happened yet. Maybe it has happened. You can say, I'm already doing it. I have my labor of love. I'm doing it. But maybe it hasn't happened yet. Now, if you don't have anything like that, that's okay. Don't try to manufacture something in the moment, okay? Just say, no, no, it's not really in my heart at this point. That's fine. So... I know this is different. Like, is he asking us to talk to each other while he's preaching? Yes. So take the next minute with one other person and just ask them, is there something like that in your heart that you would love to do to spread God's mercy to people, okay? I want to hear like the hum of voices right now of you talking to each other. Give you about 30 more seconds, okay? About 30 seconds. Well, that was more than a little hum, wasn't it? All right, come back, come back now. You know, I. I could get excited because I think perhaps that little conversation that you just had could be the start of something really beautiful. You know, the the great big ministries that that you respect and look up to, they all had a start somewhere as as a seed of thought germinating in someone's soul that they just shared with somebody else. Start somewhere. And I just think that might happen here and I hope and pray that it will. Well, hang on to that thought. We'll come back to it a little bit, a little bit later. Not much later, though. <laughs> Listen, in the passage I read a few moments ago, Paul offers guidance to believers like, like you and me who are serious about living out the gospel in relation to our neighbors. Because when you start pursuing people, when you start going after people, when you start meeting their needs, when you start engaging in labors of love in the name of Jesus, you just need to be mindful of these realities. First, realize that you might be ridiculed. Even a brother or sister in the body, you share it, they might go, that's a dumb idea. I would never do that. You know, just, just give them grace, all right? Or maybe out there, sometimes when you minister to someone, you're trying to care for them, you're trying to meet a need, they don't get it, they don't understand why you're doing it, or they challenge your motives, they don't receive it real well. And Paul says, look, look, just respond in mercy. That's how God treats you in Christ. Just, Just don't respond in kind, respond in mercy. And he says, you know, as you're doing this, make sure you're coming alongside others humbly, not with arrogance. Remember he said, don't be haughty. You know, you don't, you don't go and, like, offer yourself, like, I'm God's gift to you, you know, or I'm, I'm the second coming of Messiah for this group. No, no. You, you have an accurate view of yourself. You know, you know what? The only good thing about me is Jesus. I mean, I'm coming to realize that more and more. So you come alongside humbly, and you're, you're empathetic to their situation. As he says, weep with those who weep, rejoice with those who are rejoicing, mirror where they're at, so they understand this guy's this gal's tracking with me. They understand my situation. They're at least trying to understand. And then he says, you know, seek peace and harmony with everyone as much as possible, as much as it depends on you. May not always happen. Pe- people may not always respond well as you're trying to get in the game with them, but as much as depends on you, he says, live in harmony with others. Leave revenge to God If people mistreat you or misunderstand you or judge you, God's the judge, right? He'll take care of that. And then he says, don't let evil beat you. Beat evil with good. And so I wonder, there's a second box there. How is God leading you to show his mercy to those who are not yet believers? Would you take a few moments, just put words to it, that thing that's in your heart? you believe God put on your heart? Maybe maybe it's happened already. It's going on. You could say that. This is my labor of love. Maybe it hasn't happened yet. What is it? Maybe you want to turn your hobby into a ministry. Maybe you want to start something online. Maybe you want to gather together some like-minded people and start something together. Maybe you have a heart for this group or that group. What is it? Would you write it down? I want you to see the words that you've written down. And God will work to refine it over time, I've found. That's why it's so important to to take these ideas and notions that we have and before we do anything, just bathe them in prayer. Just bathe it in prayer. Just soak it in prayer. And we're gonna do that. We're gonna spend some time in prayer together to commit to the Lord anything and everything he's stirring up in us, churning up in our hearts. You see, I believe God wants to use your one and only life to glorify Him and bless other people in a very unique, customized way, the way He has wired you and gifted you and put you together so that you're ministering to others in a way that no one else could. You say, well, I'm not Billy Graham out there. Well, God didn't make you Billy Graham. He only made one of them, one of Him. And then He broke the mold, I think, and threw it away. God wants... They're, they're, he's going to bring people across your path who need His mercy shown to them in the way that you would show it, with your personality and gifts and experiences in life. It's that work, Ephesians 2:10, that God ordained beforehand that you should walk in it back before you were born back before you were conceived, back before he created the world, God had in mind for you a work that would glorify him and would bless other people, and then he put you together and knit you together in your mother's womb in such a way that you one day could accomplish that work. That's what we're talking about here. And really, it's, it's your worship back to him. It's your responsive worship. Lord, you've done so much for me. I'm offering this ministry back to you. I was thinking just in the last service about a, a gal whose funeral I did this last year. Her name was Donna. And Donna's mission of mercy to the world was to sew and make blankets and quilts to give to the families of cancer victims. She turned a hobby into a ministry. That's what I'm talking about. Like assessing yourself and saying, how can I use all that God's given me to bless and show mercy to the world? I'm telling you, it will bring you great joy. It'll bring you great joy. But first, it needs to be soaked in prayer. Saturated in prayer. Before we go to prayer, may may I just remind you of two important truths from sermons past? Because you've been wondering, what in the world is this up here? Does anybody remember this? If you weren't here, we we used this rope as kind of an analogy of Life on this earth and then life that goes on. Actually, we strung it from the back wall. It goes on and on and on and on and on after this life called eternity, right? And we talked about the fact that that making the most of your one and only life here on this earth means not living here for here or here for here or here for here, but thinking about here and here and here and here. There are only four things that last forever, God, his word, his kingdom, and people. And a life well lived and not wasted is a life invested in those four things that will last forever. Worse yet is probably a life lived here for here. <laughs> it lived in the past. Oh, the glory days, weren't they great back in the 70s? <laughs> the 70s weren't that great. Remember that. And then I want you to think about the first chair for a few moments. Remember this? Talked about the first generation, the second generation, the third generation. And I just want to reiterate that this is the place where the joy is. First chair, consecration, surrender, commitment to Jesus. I'm all yours, Jesus. What do you have for me? My agenda exchange for your agenda. Maybe you're a person who spent time in that second chair of compl- uh, complacency and compromise or that third chair of contempt for God and his church and his people and so forth. You say, what? Well, I've been there or I'm there right now. Could God ever use me? Yes, because by the grace of God, you can switch chairs by his mercy. He can... He can empower you to be able to shift and say, no, I I want to be one of these people now because I'm telling you, this is also where the impact is. This is the life that impacts others for kingdom redemptive good, amen? You can point to people in your life, can't you, who sat in this chair and maybe you're here in church today loving Jesus because that person's influence. That's where the influence is. That's where the joy is. And I so urge you surrender your life completely to sitting in that first chair of commitment and consecration to Jesus. John Piper writes this at the end of his book, don't waste your life. Remember, you have one life, that's all, you were made for God. Don't waste it, don't waste it. Let me ask you this question, how many of you would say There is a mission of mercy. I believe God has laid on my heart to bless people. And it it hasn't happened yet. I'm trying to figure out how God might want that to happen. Could I see your hands? Something on my heart. It's been on my heart for months, weeks, years, okay. I'm going to ask you to do this right now. Remember we talked about bathing it in prayer? I'm going to ask you to come. If you just raised your hand, I'm going to ask you to come and kneel around this altar over in here and just... Give it to God. Say, God, here's what I wrote in that box. I, I, I think it's something that you want. Bring it about in your way and in your time. Help me to know what the first step is. Okay? Would you do that right now? If you just raised your hand, come. Bathe it in prayer. As you do, I want to pray for all of us. Lord, I thank you that your mission of mercy to the world involves using us to spread your mercy to the world. And Lord, I pray that these seeds of thought that you've planted in the hearts of your people would germinate and would begin to sink down roots and would begin to have staying power and that you would animate them by your Holy Spirit and we would begin to hear stories about how people took this step or that step. And Lord, maybe it'll be one step forward, two steps back. Maybe there'll be some failures before there's fruitfulness. We don't know. But we're here now before you as your people, laying these things out before you and asking, Lord, If it's from you, make it happen. Visit us each week as we continue to journey through God's Word and seek to know Him better through the Gospel. Our prayer is that the Gospel has taken a deeper hold of you as we have studied the Word together at New Life Church, where Jesus is front and center all the time.